Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Unjustice Podcast where we talk about all things nerd. Of course, I'm your host Darren and here I am with... Mako. Hey, it's Sammy. And Sammy's going to be the first of our rotating hosts um, along the podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the Invincible um, show and comic book as well as reviewing episodes 4 and 5 of the Justice League series, um, the Blackest Night arc. Um, so going into Invincible right away, uh, of course we all watched the show, right? Yeah, yeah, the show's the show was awesome, mm. and I'm glad the show finally happened because I read this comic series a long, long time ago, and it's a 21 year old series at this point. Um, Gosh, is it really that old? Yeah, no, it's it's been around for a really long time. It was actually one of Inven- uh, Image's first um, superhero comics, or their only superhero comic of the time, I believe. Wow, what a way to start. Basically completely changing the culture. And the funny thing is that they only did it because they felt like they had to. Um, mm. Because Marvel and DC were obviously completely murdering the game um, along superheroes. And Image was doing better with a lot of the weirder stuff like The Walking Dead and um, all the other Spawn and all the other non-superhero mm. things that they were doing. Um, and so they asked Kirkman, like, can you write a superhero story? He's like, oh, I'll write you a fucking superhero story. I mean, it almost does seem weird because at the time, I mean, they obviously were the top in super, in terms of superheroes Marvel and DC were, but they weren't doing the best business-wise, at least not Marvel. So it does seem almost weird to be like, let's try and copy that formula when they are a little bit lower than they were in the, in the years before. I think I remember reading one of the end of the issues as well was that Kirkman was convinced the series was going to be cancelled after like issue 12 or something it was something really early so straight away he was just like fuck it we're gonna go for broke and I've I've listened to quite a few interviews with Kirkman and yeah he says that exact thing it's it was a very tentative like they kind of were just letting him write the superhero comic that he wanted to write because they wanted him to write The Walking Dead which he also lied about um (laughs) about what that was about um, but oh, I lost my train of thought again. Um, yeah, so we he cut, we cut that out. Yeah, we'll cut this whole part out. <laughs> I'm so focused on making sure I'm constantly saying something that I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, so they kind of just gave him like a tentative, like first 12 issues. Um, if you get past that, good for you, but you may never get past that. But here's your 12 issues that you wanted. Um, and then after the first issue, they're like, well, shit, now we got to release a whole run of this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we saw how shocking it was when people first tuned into the show. So imagine in the early 2000s, that coming out. Yeah. And especially like later on as Kirkman got braver and braver with um, the gore kind of ups as the series goes on. And then like the topics um, that we won't talk too much about here, but he tackles some heavy topics for comic books that they usually do not touch on. And if they do, they usually fall flat on their face. Yeah, it's not good at all. Um, And Kirkman didn't shy away from it, which is what it's great about his writing. Um, He kind of just does whatever and makes it... It felt like superheroes in a real world, in a way. Even though everything was still, like, crazy and ridiculous, it still felt like I could lift you. Um, Whereas, like, DC, like, I don't feel like I could live in Coast City, the city without fear. Fuck that, I'm moving. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you, you you definitely touch on a very good point. I think that's what sucked me into the series so effectively was other comic series like The Boys gets buzzed for being like a realistic comic series when 
it kind of goes too bombastic with the violence and depravity. But Invincible, if superheroes just existed, I could perfectly believe that Invincible in the world it exists and is completely feasible. Yeah, and the boys, it doesn't exactly like glorify it, but it definitely revels in it while it's a little bit more treated as more of a, like, obviously it's horrifying in the boys, but it's a little bit more human almost, it feels, in Invincible when it happens, yes, ironically. Yes, I completely agree, because I was more shocked reading some things in Invincible than I ever was reading The Boys, even though The Boys was exponentially more explicit and more dark. I think you just get jaded to how comically oversaturated everything is. And I think um, Mark being a kid honestly does lend a lot to just being like, man, this is just a 16-year-old just going out there and basically getting his bones broken every single night. That's horrifying when you actually <laughs> think about it in that way. Yeah. And like, like you were saying, The Boys is kind of like someone that exclusively watches murder documentaries, wrote a comic book. And <laughs> Invincible, like you said, is a lot more. This is this is kind of like bad stuff happens, but good stuff happens. The Boys is kind of just bad stuff, gross stuff, just all the time. And you, like you said, Michael, it gets oversaturated with, like, I don't really care because someone got their head blown off like three times in the last day. I don't really care about it this time. Invincible and it kind of shows... Uh, with the lack of differences almost in the show Invincible and the show The Boys, they had to, ch they didn't change all, like, they didn't change the formula of The Boys, but they did change a lot of aspects of it to kind of warm it up to a mainstream audience, while Invincible didn't really need a lot of changes made. No. Right. And the few changes that Kirkman did make for the show versus the comic book are things that people have gotten mad about in the past when people change characters, but. Honestly, everything worked for the better. Um, yeah. And he really yeah, tied up I, the series. Yeah, I don't really think it did anything negative to the series. No, not at all. And Kirkman said himself this is the series that he wished he would have written in the first place. After being a more experienced writer now, because he was still kind of a rookie back then, um, even though he's one of the top dogs at Image now, that's this and Walking Dead are what put him there. Um, and so to be able to go back is was fun it sounds like he had fun with it and he actually i think he was talking about possibly diving more into the world of invincible and giving us some more out of that world which sounds amazing oh that yeah i may be new to the invincible fan base but that is extraordinarily exciting and that's honestly exciting as well for the image universe as it is as a whole because i mean i would say that invincible is probably the closest we get to a completed sort of image world and we see that in heroes united as well uh the comic where the big crossover it's kind of mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the hub for heroes and the image on image earth as it is yeah and of course kirkman had the balls to put the image logo right on the superhero's chest so they couldn't just throw him away <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but even like so the way he tightened up the series is really cool because it, it makes a lot of sense. And I didn't realize it on the first read through how close together um, the science teacher and Sinclair happen in the comic. Like it's really nearby. It's like the science teacher happens. Omni-Man happens. Sinclair happens like pretty soon after. Um, so it makes sense because it's kind of the same story except Sinclair's is better and more developed as the world goes on and the science teacher is kind of mm. just a one-off so it's kind of cool like it's not like the science teacher story was so good that i'm mad that it was gone like it's it's fine that it's gone and we still get kind of the same story except sinclair's earlier than it was before mm. um so i want to avoid too many spoilers 
for the series because, yeah. of course, not everyone has read it. Some people are sticking to the show only because I know a lot of people do that. They watch it in one medium and they don't like picking it up in the next medium because not all of us read while we poop. Um, <laughs> so I think that's all we have to say on Invincible for the most part. It's um, yeah, I mean, we, still, we did kind of gush over it, but I mean, uh, there's not really much negative to say about it. Especially yeah, without spoiling. Yeah, without spoiling, <laughs> yeah. and it's very difficult not to gush about. It's something you get so excited about because the characters are so lived in and so fleshed out. And it almost does feel yeah. kind of like a cultural milestone in comics, almost kind of the Dark Ret- Night Returns-esque, almost, cause just because it did kind yeah. of revolutionize superheroes a little bit in that way, in a modern era. And like, there's there's an argument for it being the foundation of um, comics that we get later on, like Injustice, where we see superheroes kill superheroes, or superheroes kill supervillains, or um, vice versa, because comics didn't really deal too much with that. Every, t- every time Superman punched Batman in the face, like he'd just get knocked out. Um, Invincible punches Batman in the face, and the face is gone. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there is like a no one is safe kind of vibe with that series. Even Mark himself, yeah, like he... It's something that he tries to do in The Walking Dead, that sense of no one is safe. And I don't think The Walking Dead pulls it off as effectively as Invincible does. And at least Kirkman tries to make it purpose, very purposeful in The Walking Dead. I remember him talking about it in, in an interview. Um, the second to last issue, um, nobody knew that was the second to last issue. And obviously that's the issue where Rick Grime dies. Um, in the comic, because he dies at the end, but he didn't tell anybody that the next issue the, was the last issue, um, which pits, pissed off comic book stores across the nation, because obviously they would have hyped it up more to get better sales, um, and this happened, I think, at the end of the pandemic, or, or at the beginning of the pandemic, or right before that this issue came out, um, which obviously comic book stores could have used The Walking Dead as that kind of revenue, so he felt bad, and he went back and wrote some more Walking Dead stuff to get them some money, but um, and he did that. He did that purposefully. He didn't tell anyone the last issue was coming up because he wanted you to feel Rick Grimes' death. Because it's the second to last issue. What does it matter? We don't need to know any more about that universe. Because I mean, it's over. So I don't care that Rick Grimes died. Um, kind of the same with Invincible. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. Say that we have massive time skip at the end to kind of show um everything that happens after the series. I'm not gonna say who's alive and who's not, but. Um, there's tons of room to play with, but he still gave us, what was it, like 500 years or 2,000 years of content after the story yeah. ends? Um, so there's that's still, yeah, yeah, and that leaves him like room to play with, but at the same time, we feel more satisfied with where these characters are going to end up. We don't, it doesn't just cut off and we're like, well, what happens next? Like, we see kind of what happens next, a quick montage of everything that happens next, which I think is really service to the fans. So, do you guys want to move on to the review now? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like we said, we were watching the fourth and fifth episodes of the Justice League animated series, um, The Blackest Night. Um, these episodes are actually based on the 1977 Justice League of America issues having to deal with Hal Jordan, kind of the exact same issue. Um, it's a pretty direct translation, except for some of the characters. Mm. Yeah, and uh, just before we start, I mean, like, when we were off, right before we recorded, I was telling you guys I definitely prefer this story arc in the series to the comics, that's for sure. Yes, by far. Yeah, the that era of comics was pretty rough. Um, 
I think that's the nicest way to say that. Not that it's they, really just they were hit never, or miss. <laughs> yeah, they were never really bad, but they felt cluttered. I feel like a lot of the words yes. don't need to be said, and a lot of the, see this, and de- mysteries of detectives number 47, and see this, and flash 8183. That, that was like every single yeah. page trying to refer you to another comic. Comic. Um, which kind of... The big issue with DC Comics in the 1970s or the late 70s anyway was they were kind of heading towards a a stagnation creatively. Um, The primary comic book series like Justice League of America had became really tired in a sense. This storyline feels like that. Like you're saying, there's so much dense dialogue that feels like it's just dragging everything out so unnecessarily. The experimentation and creative boom for DC in the late 70s really had nothing to do with the mainstream series, apart from maybe Kryptonite Nevermore from the early 70s and some of Neil Adams' Batman stuff and maybe Hard Traveling Heroes. But beyond that, you were looking at maybe a, a good amount of stagnation. Which makes sense, like... I love the Justice League, I love DC Comics, and this was kind of a chore to read um, in preparation for this podcast. Um, like, I felt it. Like, I put it down several times. Um, I was playing games at the same time, watching TV shows at the same time. Usually, if I'm into a comic, like, like I'm into the comic. I'm not doing anything mm-hmm. else because I'm in this world. Um, I mean, that yeah, does honestly is... speak to the quality of the animated series. Uh, they were able to take a story arc that clearly none of us are too hot on, and I... I don't know about you guys, but I, I enjoyed this episode or these two episodes. Yes, these episodes are fantastic, I think. Yeah, I think great. they... You can go ahead. Um, but, like, last time we were talking about how we were trying to find problems, and I did find a bone to pick with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so, first off, though, I definitely think it does a good job of expressing uh, John Stewart's sense of duty. I think it does a good yes. job of introducing that aspect of his character. Yeah. And, of course, the plot line, uh, for anyone that didn't watch the episodes along with us or didn't pause and go watch the episodes, I mean, you can still do it now. But the plot line of the episodes is the Manhunters show up on, on Earth, obviously these giant android-type things, um, to arrest Jon Stewart. The Justice League fights back, and then Jon Stewart just hands himself over without ever really uh, picking too much of a fight. Um and then when it goes on later on, we find out that Jon Stewart has accidentally blown up a planet, um, which seems kind of like, why would you even believe that? Because, of course, it reveals later on that he didn't and it was all a lie. Um, but talk about, like, hyping your own powers, because at the beginning of the episode, he has trouble just holding a car and <laughs> he thinks that he accidentally blew up a planet with some random shot. Um and yeah, these these were great episodes. Um, the voice acting across the board was amazing. I mean, even the Manhunter's voice, um, they could have gone really robotic with it. And even the voice actor for the Manhunter, the main Manhunter at least, was fucking that voice killer. Yeah. Um, and we had we had Red Foreman himself as the prosecutor. I don't know if you, any of you guys noticed that, or if you watched that mm-hmm. '70s show. If you don't watch the '70s show, I don't get along with you. Oh, but and can we talk about how the so yeah, can we ahead. talk about how the Manhunters are in the first few episodes of this series? I mean, they're not the most obscure, but they're definitely out there in terms of mainstream characters in comics. Yes, uh, the two notes actually I primarily took for these episodes are, I think the the two episodes do something, two things remarkably well, and they do two opposite things remarkably well. 
and they oppose each other because, as we've already discussed, John Stewart is the cosmic hero of the Justice League. He's the Green Lantern, he belongs to space, and it grounds him firstly primarily on Earth and then on the trial. Like Sammy said about sense of duty, it forges a real personality and a, a relationship to John Stewart, which could be easy to get lost in the fact he's a space-faring superhero. But I do love the fact it shows off that him revisiting his neighbourhood, the individual lives that he grew up with are just as important to him as the space sector is. But also, mm. what Sammy was about to say, and I, and I apologise for interrupting, but he touched on something very excited to talk about, is that it opens up the scope of the Justice League stories to the cosmos. Because the Manhunters are not too obscure, like Sammy says, but it's definitely a cosmic threat. It's something that belongs to space. And it tells us that Justice League will not be trapped on Earth or even the solar system for their stories. And that's kind of cool to dive into at the beginning. And plus, like you were saying, with going into Green Lantern's backstory and kind of giving the focus on him and even more obscure characters like Kilowog and and not that he's more obscure than the Manhunters, but the rest of the Green Lanterns that we saw in this episode definitely are. Um, yeah, I did freak out a little bit when I saw my boy Kilowog. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm glad they hyped him up a little bit. Yeah, um, right. I'm glad he wasn't just another... Because when, when Hot Girl started throwing around all the Fodder Lanterns, that obviously happens a little bit later, but I'm glad Kilowog wasn't one of the scrubs that she was no. throwing around. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so going into all the Green Lanterns and then Green Lantern's backstory, this is something that you'd usually see in a Green Lantern series, and actually I think it's partially, like, just as much backstory as we got in Hal Jordan in the Green Lantern animated series. Um, but they dived into it super quick, but it gave you that feeling like he's a person and makes you care about him a little bit more than the first three episodes do, because obviously you don't learn much more than his name in the first three episodes, um... So I, you immediately care about him in the first five minutes of that first episode um, on episode four. Um, you, I think you meet his high school football coach or something like that. Yeah, his basketball um, coach or something. I honestly kind of liked that that little element of the story. It did kind of ground him a little bit like Speed was saying. Yeah, and so it made you, like you were saying, with this sense of duty. Um, I don't think they mentioned that he was a soldier before becoming a Green Lantern in the episode. Um, but that sense of duty taking taking responsibility for something that you did um, is really telling for the character, especially when the rest of the Justice League was like, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. And I mean, and oh, backtracking some... to what you were talking about in the like the focus, how they focused a little more on Jon Stewart, I noticed no Batman and Wonder Woman in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. kind of told yeah. me, like, we're, we're going to be focusing on different characters throughout different episodes. It's not just about the team. It's about the individual characters that make up the team. So honestly, I kind of appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And- and from a writing standpoint, it makes sense because it's really hard to write seven characters inside of an episode really, really well because it feels too cluttered and no one can really have um, their time or their character development. Um, and I actually did find the trivia that we only get nine episodes of this entire two seasons where all seven members of the Justice League are present. And we just wow. got two of them um, with the last couple episodes. Yeah, so they're definitely keeping it special. I actually really like yeah, that. that. That's very good. That's a good bit of trivia. Yeah, and it get like I said, it gives all the characters room to play. I mean, we saw of the five characters that we got in this episode, I feel like we saw plenty of them. Even though um, John Stewart kind of has us, he has the biggest role and the smallest role to play since he does the least kind of development or acting 
um, in the episode while Hawkgirl, Flash, Superman kind of take the lead with John Jones kind of playing the background um, support character. Um, mm. But getting back to the planet exploding, this is where I have my bone to pick, and it's a super small writing point that may be more apparent in 2021 now that the world is completely <clears throat> completely connected and communicative i mean we're talking in two different countries two different states and then scotland um <clears throat> so when this planet exploded nobody has talked nobody on that planet has reached out to other planets for just like their daily stuff because they seem pretty interconnected i mean they were they were part of a number series of worlds, and no one like wanted to check in on their grandma that's living on Philobos Five or whatever they're whatever they're called. Um, super yeah, small boat, kinda, pick, but yeah, I did kind of write that off as like maybe they don't have like communication technology that of that level. But like you said, yeah, they are part of a league of planets essentially. So I don't know why they wouldn't mm. be able to communicate with other people in the same system as them. Yeah, super small bone to pick. Just trying to find. Yeah. Um, bones to pick because I don't want to feel like we're reviewing a series that we have no problems with because what's the point of the review if we're just like it's great it's real good I liked it <laughs> moving on oh yeah but there's this, one yeah, thing I'll... like go ahead Sam uh, there was one thing I did want to talk about uh, you were talking about how they did focus kind of mainly on Flash Hawk Girl uh, Superman a lot in this episode and it kind of made me notice that a lot of the dialogue feels a little bit more real in this show uh, like. It, a lot of times in the MCU, you can feel like there's kind of a joke quota for them to meet. And in this, it feels more like people actually having a conversation. So if a joke doesn't land, if one of Flash's jokes doesn't land, it doesn't matter because it's just the Flash being Flash, you know? Yeah. And you can kind of write him off and laugh him off and just whatever. Because, I mean, he was real thirsty over Hot Girl this episode. Yeah, he was really trying yeah. to slide in on this one. Um. But this episode, I think the first episode four gives us one of probably one of the most iconic jokes from the entire series. Um, when they take when they tell Flash to take over um, the controls of the javelin, and he's like, everyone tells Flash to take over the controls of the javelin, but does anyone ask Flash if he knows how? Yeah, I thought that was a bit of an oversight. Honestly, I was like, man, you guys almost caused like a local domestic incident. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Like, was there training? You guys just got this the last episode. Yeah, slow down. I also thought it was funny when they did arrive on the Judge Planet. Uh, immediately, Superman said, we're not here to start a war. And mm. immediately, they just come out and start attacking the fighters and just blowing everything up. Hot Girl we'll almost... Destroy, destroy all his shit. And yeah, Hot Girl almost destroyed an entire ship along with creating catastrophic damage when it landed, um, saved by Superman. Um mm. And they cause a lot of problems, and it's not like that would have been too much trouble if Superman and John and everyone would have stayed in the courtroom whenever they did finally sentence John Stewart to death. I doubt they would have let him die um, anyways. Either way, they were going to start a war at the end of this if Superman um, pull out his inner Batman and go full detective with it. Um, yeah, it which, did feel almost a little bit jarring when they did break into the courtroom. Uh, I, for some reason, that just, I, I didn't like hate it or anything, but it just felt a little weird that they were just busting in like, all right, we're, we're here to get our friend. We're not here to start any problems, but I did just create a hole in your giant space dome. Yeah, That's I mean, not just especially though. with like justice being such a big part of Superman's character. I do understand why he was doing it, but it just seemed a little weird. Yeah. Couldn't find the door. Oh, so it's kind of. Like we were saying, Batman and 
on Wonder Woman are not in the episode, but Superman still pulls out his inner detective to kind of investigate, which would have been a good role for Batman in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. that, that stuff usually falls on Batman to kind of figure out, to kind of use his brain. This is something that we don't really see Superman use too much of, um, especially in the previous series. Like, he's just a guy with big muscles. Um, and so see Superman kind of flex that super brain. Um, it's always fun to see. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And it definitely legitimizes the the abilities of the, the entire team more rather than them just being diluted down to strong man, detective, fast man, that kind of thing. Yeah, you do yeah, get a little hint of uh, Superman's leadership in this, and I did appreciate seeing that. Yeah, you don't need Batman for every little mystery. Um, but moving on to the Manhunters. So, like you were saying, that they're, they're a little bit more obscure and this is something that a casual fan doesn't know um, diving into this series and this episode four, like at the most, like any other, any other series would have put this way later on, um, much less at kind of the introduction of Green Lantern to a lot of children across the country. Um, but to immediately by episode four say like, oh yeah, here's all the Green Lantern, but the Manhunters were first. That they yes. They were the predecessors to the Green Lanterns from the Guardians of Oa, and there's like there was a lot. Like this episode was like almost overwhelming, overwhelming with the information, because um, I tried to watch it as someone that doesn't know anything about comic books. Um, of course I do, but I was trying to pretend like I don't. So what what would I be learning in this episode? And it it kind of just slaps you in the face with giant cosmic cock. <laughs> I, I kind of appreciate that. I feel in some changes to, from mediums, from comics to films, or comics to TV shows, there can be quite a lot of dilution, which can annoy fans. Sometimes the origins become simplified or there's a lot of hand-holding. I appreciate that it's a lot of information. I think I like the fact they don't think the audience is dumb and can't keep up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's... Like you said, it never assumes the audience is dumb, but it pre- presents the information in a way that, not like, well, you should have known this already. Did you even read the comics? Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it pre- presents it in a way like this is this is just what it is. Like it's like going to a new town. Like everyone there knows the whole town, but you don't know anything, so you don't. But you never feel stupid. And like, where's the gas station? Like, oh, yep, you must be new here. It's down the down the street to the mm. left. Take a right, and that's kind of how DC presented this whole cosmic spectrum of the dc universe to us with these episodes it's just like oh yeah these are the green lanterns there's the guardians of oa um and fans watching this are like oh holy crap they did the guardians they they did more green lanterns that's that's one of my favorite ones right there love kilowog um mm-hmm. a little ball guy i've seen him in the comics um i mean they strike that going. balance really well of making this show for comic readers for people that have never read read comics and even for children and adults i mean there was a conjure row appearance in this i mean who who is that for (laughs) and i think it was the lack of what we were saying in the 1977 comics a lot of the characters like i said at least every page and like oh the last time i had to deal with this or back when back when this happened i did this um and then the comic would give you a reference to green arrow number 33 um And none of the characters kind of do that, like Kilowog, like back when I was training you, John. Um, yeah. It never, it never does that. It never gives you backstory that you feel like you should have known, or um, it's kind of just that they're there, they're cool. Moving on. Um, yeah, and Sammy just touched on something I really love 
about these episodes especially. I think these episodes do it phenomenally. And it's the idea of straddling the line between comic book fans, young viewers, or just viewers in general that have never read the comics. And I say this story does it very well because there's a level of excitement and anxiety to every aspect for these three different groups. And I mention this primarily because the 1977 issues, I don't think anyone, even in 1977 when they were released, ever thought Hal Jordan was guilty. Like, you read it, you were like, he's the golden boy, he's famous for being so straight and narrow, there'll be an explanation he's not guilty. But by the time this show came out, John Stewart was arguably most famous for Cosmic Odyssey in 1988, which is when he's responsible for the death of Zanshi, the entire planet. So a comic reader watching this would kind of maybe be not on the edge of their seat, but maybe a bit intrigued, like, maybe he is guilty. Maybe he did actually do this. Maybe it's like Cosmic Odyssey. And the mystery itself is still good enough that somebody that's never read a comic before is like, I don't know these characters. Maybe he is guilty. Yeah, it's playing with those expectations, which is something this show and Justice League Unlimited also does really well in the DCAU as a whole. Yeah, especially as a fan, because we know that he was responsible for Zanshi. Like, that's still, I think that's still part of his story to this day. Um, yes, was, it is. He actually was responsible for this one, and this just wasn't the same planet. So any fan watching could have easily been, like you said, like, oh, yeah, this he, he this, this might be it. He might have actually done it. What are they going to do? How are they going to get him out of this one? Oh. <laughs> And it's that combining, honestly, of different storylines from the comics that the MCU does a lot, but that the mm. DCAU was doing a decade or even two before. Yeah. Yeah, these were all 2002, so this is six years almost, before Iron Man was yeah, even on the board. Almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, and yeah. even more before they had a big established universe where they could just take multiple giant, com- or not giant, but very important comics and put them into the same story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just goes to show once again, like we're just saying, just the Justice League, the entire DCAU as a whole is just fantastically written. The DC just by far competes with the MCU in every single way when it comes to their animated movies. Um, mm. Like this was a beautifully written episode, like you said. Like I felt like I know I knew John Stewart wasn't guilty. I've seen these episodes before for twenty years now. Um, but you still feel it, especially at the end of episode four, when he's like, I did it. I blew up this planet. Um, and so like you, you feel it like, oh damn, like he, Uh-oh. he did it. Like he's, he's going to have to go. Oh, um, maybe he did it. And of course we go on to see in the next episode that Kanjaro set it all up as a hoax because he's being paid by the Manhunters, which I mean, Kanjaro is probably the most obscure pick for this episode. We haven't even seen Absolutely. him. Yeah. In, I mean, like I was saying earlier, since. like, who is that for? <laughs> yeah, and the scope of the comics, uh, I could maybe count in, like, my right hand how many comics I think he's been in in the last, like, 20 years. Yeah, and he, he seems like an important player that Green Lanterns constantly have to deal with. I mean, he's a space pirate, and... Um, the animated universe makes you feel like he's an actual problem for Green Lanterns on the regular, which I'm sure he is. Um, but we haven't had to deal with him in so long because he's so small in the vast DC cosmic universe. Um, yeah, I mean, and that is another thing of them combining different aspects. Because, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say, actually. <laughs> <laughs> 
can trim this up too. Um, so I think that's um I don't think I have too much more to say. You guys got anything more to say about the episodes? Um the only other thing I think I want to say is that rather coincidentally, the Manhunters were first created by Jack Kirby in the nineteen seventies and I think it was either today or it was yesterday, but it was his 104th, or would have been 104th birthday. So I think it's quite coincidental that we get to do this on today of all days. Oh, that's pretty neat. That's pretty nice. Serendipitous. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there uh, there was a few actually uh, funny things in this show, uh, in this episode at least. Uh, there were gags that I saw that were just kind of played, played earnestly, like uh, when Superman bust through the dome originally to break up uh to break up the trial uh you later see that they patched up the glass and uh, when they arrive again uh, superman just busts straight through the the same place <laughs> where they had patched originally and that's something that the show just does so well is just that dry wit yeah. that they just end up in the gags that they do that quick joke yeah i totally missed that but yeah that's fantastic oh because of course i'm scanning through um the second episode didn't have a whole lot um, to add on to the story because of course the first one sets up the whole story and has like the epic um, John Stewart confession and everything like that um, the second episode is kind of just like the finer details of like revealing the mystery and um, showing that the Manhunters paid Kanjar Road to fake this to distract and get the Guardians off of Oa so they can go take off um, which I guess that's that's something I almost missed out on entirely um, mm. so we actually go to Oa um in this episode, which is um, in the DC universe, Oa is the center of every universe, but not the center of the multiverse. Um, so to kind of see Oa, is it fifth episode of the series? Um, I don't know if they ever go back in this series, um, but that's kind of a crazy place to go, especially with um, so early on. Like it feels deliberate that they would do this, th- these two episodes, and then the next two episodes are all about Aquaman. So we go into the furthest reaches of space, and now we're going down to the furthest depths of the sea in the next couple episodes. Um, and then, like, just talking about, oh, we immediately see um, one of the Manhunters, the main Manhunter, who has the amazing voice, um, absorbs all the power of the central power battery, which... Um, that was insane. Was, yeah. I was like, what? And then, like I said they, before we started recording, I hadn't seen these episodes when they first aired. I just somehow missed these episodes. <laughs> so when I saw that, I was like, the entire power battery. All right. All right. All right. And it kind of goes to, it doesn't hold our hand with how the power works, what the power battery is, or how John Stewart's able to take this thing down um, in the first place. And of course the green lantern power is all focused around will, um, which I feel like the comics forget. Sometimes I feel like they just think it's lasers and light constructs and um, that it's not just a, energized form of will because that's really just how John Stewart beats them um at the end is he wills the power out of the manhunter and back into his ring and the power battery to repower all the green lanterns and defeat the manhunters um he just kind of makes it happen like no he doesn't brute force it it's not a smart thing there's no prep like he just plans it out it's a great mm-hmm. character moment yeah and that can kind of lead us into our battle. We, we want to talk about a battle player episode, and there's not a ton in here that's very interesting. I mean, Hawkgirl versus Kanjar Row, but that was all in a spaceship. Um, no one really fights too much except for the Green Lanterns fighting the Manhunters at the very end of it. Um, 
There was one thing I did want to uh, kind of bring up. There was one thing I did kind of want to bring up. Uh, I did like seeing Hot Girl uh, fight the other Lanterns. I do. It's just kind of a weird thing that I like to see in comics is non-related characters from that aren't related to the Green Lantern mythos fighting sort of low-level Lanterns. I'm not entirely sure why, but I, that's just something <laughs> that I really like to see in comics. It's just a, a kind of a little added adage to the world, I guess, and a little comparison. Yeah, and it shows like kind of a cool understanding of the characters from the writer's standpoint because. Obviously, Green Lanterns are more powerful than Hot Girl. Like she's just a lady with a mace um, mm. that electrified in this, um, and so they kind of take away all the weapons and they show off um, Hot Girl's skill in battle, which Green Lanterns don't usually get because they rely so heavily on their rings. Um, they don't really worry too much about hand-to-hand combat, but they still left Kilowog out of the fight without us understanding like kids aren't going to be sitting there like Kilowog would never fight against Hawk girl. Um, mm. and they, they left him out because Kilowog is this character that has like, um, some pretty like mid-level super strength. Um, yeah. And so like, if he, if he did get up to fight Hawk girl, like she probably would have lost. He's the, um, trainer for all the green lantern Corps, and he's trained pretty much everyone that's flying around with a ring right now. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a pretty protected character. He's fought Superman before in the comics, and he's kind of portrayed mm-hmm. as that just under the top tier of, of Green Lanterns. Yes. Yeah, and as fans, seeing Kilowog is super fun because he doesn't pop up too much um, in the mainstream comics. He pops up quite a bit in Green Lantern ones, but um, in Justice League comics or any other title, you're not going to see Kilowog. And I think this is just after the time um, that Kilowog was... Was it Morrison's run that Kilowog was actually not a Green Lantern? He was living on the Justice League satellite as, like, the handyman, basically? Um, I can't remember that era very clearly, so I don't know specifically. I want to say, I'm picturing the art of it right now. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kilowog as a character, mm. as a whole. And I, I'm picturing the art, and I want to say it's probably right before this. Like, late 90s, um, this is what he was doing. So a fan that just finished reading that just a year ago or a few years ago before this came out um to see Kilowog kind of back in action a character that doesn't get a ton of play um getting getting a little bit of play and getting to play the good guy role out of the Green Lantern Corps I think it's just him and Ganthet um or I'm assuming it's Ganthet um, probably the Ganthet yeah um to be kind of being the good guys and having Jon Stewart's back when at the beginning of the episodes like they weren't going to and they were trashing him um, kind of disowning him from the Green Lantern Corps because even they believed it. Um, and again, no one thought to go check. No one thought to reach out. And I mean, I guess if the planet's destroyed, you don't feel like you have to go check anything. But um, for a massively advanced, like more advanced than Earth um, civilization, like you think they'd have some way of being like, oh yeah, it's, it's right there. It's just invisible for some reason. I mean, <laughs> the moon was still in its orbit. Like We find that out later at the end of the episode. That's how Superman discovers that it's still there. And it's like, wow, Superman really was the first one that was like, so are we going to go check it? or? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it kind of goes to show, and they have that moment at the end of it, because um, most kids' shows would have the ending be like, well, even if someone is rude to you because someone lied, like it's it's good to forgive them like no john stewart at the end of these episodes he's like you know what like screw you guys like i've known these guys a week and they had my back more than you guys i've known for years yeah and you would honestly you would say that and it's just understanding the characters um because i i'm sure hal jordan would have been like no i understand like you thought i did a bad thing but it's all right 
Yeah, and oh. it is. It does kind of portray he does see the green his job as the Green Lantern as just that a job. These are his coworkers. Yes. They aren't his friend, and them mistreating him is going to be okay. I mean, we're not friends. We're just coworkers. So yeah, I kind of want a coworker slinks out on their shift or anything coworkers usually typically do. That's exactly how it treats it. You're exactly right, Sammy. Um, and that's this is kind of one of the first times we see the Justice League being friends at the end of the episode because we they weren't really friends they're just getting to know each other and at this point like it starts to feel it doesn't feel completely like we didn't just jump into these friendships but it starts to feel um like these relationships are developing because um like even hawk girl like she was kind of heartless about it before like she was like well he said he's guilty like he's he's okay with this like why are we fighting against this like we're just here to watch um she ends up his lover by the end of the series yes yeah, and you do get a, a little hint into him and Flash's relationship as well. They do a really good job building that up because nobody's really taking the Flash seriously at all throughout this entire episode. But he's the, yeah. he's the one who really kind of stepped up and defended John. Because, mm. yeah, John would have been dead or executed before Superman even got to that moon to check it out in the first place um, without the Flash kind of intervening and putting his own life on the line to kind of help out his friend who he wasn't like flash had no idea like he just had a hunch that um this can't be true john wouldn't do this again this guy he's known for not very long had there been a while at this point because they built the whole satellite um and even with superman's super speed it takes a while to source all those materials um yeah so they've known they've not but they haven't known each other that long i doubt they've had too many run-ins in the past i think in the first um or in the second episode when they both show up they kind of know of each other um, but they don't know too much. I don't think any of them, any of them have shared their secret identities yet, but they still have this like trust in each other. Um, Flash had that trust in John without even knowing his name. And, and I mean, John when, didn't have that trust in himself. Yeah. And I mean, when I was a kid, I was more of a Justice League Unlimited. Uh, that's the one that I watched a lot more. Uh, so I was seeing these characters more after their development, once they developed into a team. So going back and seeing where it started and where the, where these characters started out as almost borderline strangers and and coworkers basically um is honestly really cool to see how that how that develops over this series and I'm looking forward to seeing as how it develops going forward mm. and yeah as those they kind of use superman as the way of building everyone's relationships because we've already had I think two different series or I think he pops up in the Batman animated series as well so basically three different series where we see this version of Superman. Um, and at this point, like he's used to the team dynamic, like he's used to working with other people. So um, he's kind of the way in and getting all these people together and making sure everyone works as a team. Like, like you said, Sammy showing off those leadership skills um, to kind of get everyone to work together. He um, tries not to start a war by kind of starting a war. Um, not a great move on Superman's part, but um, brilliant <laughs> writing just across the board. Um, but I'm glad yeah, you bring up Justice League Unlimited um, because a lot of these episodes seem to be getting pulled from like the raw source. Um, like this one was from a 1977 comic where Green Arrow was a heavy player in that comic. Um, and we don't see him at all, I think, in this series, maybe once or twice um, towards the end. I'm not even sure, but he he's a huge character in Justice League Unlimited. He has a lot of episodes just to himself or episodes that he's involved in. Um, mm. So that's kind of going way back because at the time, like Green Arrow wasn't super heavily involved with the Justice League. Um, but 
back in the days, back in the 70s, he, he was. He was he was one of the main leaguers that was always around. Um, so it's kind of cool to see that the writers are definitely fans of the source material. They didn't just get brought on and like, all right, we'll read these 10 comic books and write me a story. Um, but mm-hmm. they wanted to write these. They understand the characters. They understand the stories. They understand the relationship dynamics, um, which is always amazing to see when, like we talked about with Kirkman, it's great to see when writers are also fans. Um, but yeah, going into the battles, um, the Manhunters stay as a threat, so I feel like that's probably the best kind of battle that we can do is whenever they do throw down with the Manhunters, like the three Manhunters kind of manhandled Justice League at the beginning of it. Of course, Superman wasn't there from the get-go, um, but they're kind of just throwing around everyone else. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I was honestly, it was honestly a little jarring when uh, Jean was completely taken out two separate times uh, by the Manhunters. I was like, wow, uh, they're really pushing the Manhunters. And then, lo and behold, at the end of the episode, we see everybody running through them like they're paper mache. It's the old cartoon, yeah. the adage of car- have it being a cartoon villain. I think the the one that jumps out at me is when the Flash gets completely taken out by like a clothes line at the start of the episode. Just like, that's <laughs> High rough. speed limbo. Yeah. Which is because they do the same thing in the 1977 comic. It's at the beginning, one Manhunter is enough to take on all of them. But Superman and Batman fight like a countless number of them. Like all you see is heads in the background of this army of Manhunters charging at them. They're like, oh, I could do this all day. Like. Mm. Well, you're getting your ass handed to you just the last issue by one of them. Oh, there, there was railings on that planet. That's why. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, that's also another fun thing because the series, I mean, we get a great episode with Flash towards the end kind of using his powers almost to their fullest extent. Um, mm. But the 1977 comic, obviously a different Flash because this is Wally West. 1977 mm-hmm. was Barry Allen. Um, yes. But I didn't realize it was that early on they started to really play with the Flash's powers and him not just being a fast guy. Because um, mm. in the first, in issue 140 of the 1977 run, he uses his vibration to kind of teleport and travel throughout. They think they're accessing a different dimension, um, which is cool. Like, the series doesn't do too much with the Flash besides he's real fast. Yeah, that is one yeah, thing about a, this episode. Just it was mostly just him rushing around, basically. Um, and it's not like the first time. I think we see the Flash. Is it this series or the the Superman series where we get the ever iconic Flash versus Superman race? Um, I think that's the Superman animated series. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, that's what I thought, and it's, goes goes to show how much they kind of planned these out or didn't. I don't know if it's like so planned out, but it's kind of like the MCU. They they just do something later on and kind of act like it was all planned from the get go. Um, yeah, because they kind of introduce all these characters, really introduce them with this series, but they are all kind of thrown into the previous two series here or there to kind of show them off. Um, I think Wonder Woman and Jean are really the new characters um, for this series, um, and obviously they have massive roles to play. Um, I think just in the next bunch of episodes, we get two Wonder Woman episodes where it's all about her and her problems, um, mm. which are all great. Um, but I don't think there's too much to talk about the battles for these episodes no? because even in the comics, the Manhunters have always kind of been there. They they fight with the Green Lanterns. They can keep up. Um, 
but it always feels like kind of part of the writing. Obviously, they have like Superman level stats, um, and they're batons that can break constructs and do some heavy damage and knock down Superman when they need to. Um, yeah, the biggest thing about the Manhunters was as of No Fear, which was the second story arc by Jeff Johns, they introduced the Manhunters 2.0 which have power batteries in their skulls so as soon as they fight the green lanterns they could immediately drain the rings to zero which is how they became such an imposing threat in the comics right and that's, i mean we see this i guess one of them kind of has that kind of ability in this but he kind of just jumps into the power battery and becomes it um yeah like could have just been nanotech the tech that doesn't need to be explained <laughs> Um, so not too much here. Um, what was my this whole part? Mm. Uh, want to add a little more time because we're almost at an hour, but I got to cut out like five minutes worth of stuff. So, <laughs> um, oh, we, I, mean, I guess we could go into recommendations then. Yeah. After this. No. Oh, no, no, no. I remember. Um, so before we go on with the series, I want to call it out now and I want to see if anything changes. Um, from what you guys remember of this series, what is your favorite episode of this entire series you don't need to remember the name or the number um what is the episode just like quick about oh that that's that's good because there's a lot i remember um i'll go first because i don't want anyone to steal it um the episode where superman gets hit by a blast from toy man and gets traveled way super far into the future and the only other person that's alive on earth is Vandal Savage. That episode is fantastic. That episode might have been the foundation of my childhood. Like, I remember seeing it so many times. Um, I don't think another episode's going to come by and take its place as my favorite episode of this series. Um, any episode would be hard-pressed to, but I'm open to it. I'm going to have to look at a list of episodes really quickly for just the reminder. Because... <laughs> The the one that jumps to my head isn't Justice League, it's Justice League Unlimited. Exactly. All the ones that I can think of are Justice League Unlimited. So let me try to find one that's... See, just, oh, Justice Gang, Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost is a good one. So is War World. Yep. Oh, yeah, that is And I feel one. like... Okay, I, got, I think I got mine. Of, I feel like part of us being more familiar with Justice League Unlimited just goes, just goes to show our age, because I think I'm the oldest one on this podcast right now, and I would have only been six seven years old when this series came out and eight or nine by the time it ended um so it's not like i would have seen too much of it at an age where i was really able to comprehend and remember things but then justice league unlimited comes out i think a year after this series ends um so 10 years old i feel like is definitely old enough to start comprehending and understanding what i'm watching and really loving mm. it right sammy do you want to go first yeah, I'd say my favorite episode from the original Justice League would probably be the season one finale, uh, the one where they have to go back in time. I think the plot is that the Axis powers end up winning World War II somehow, um, so they have to go back in time to correct it, and it's basically Cowboy Justice League, which is right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that episode until you said Cowboy Justice League. Exactly. That's a, that, see. I didn't even know that it was the season one finale at first. I just knew it's the one where they're cowboys, <laughs> and Vandal My Savage is the leader from... of the Fifth Reich for some reason. I mean, of course he is. <laughs> My favorite from 
the Justice League series that we're talking about is a better world, which is the Justice Lords two-part episodes. Oh, that's a great. Oh my god, great choice. Yes. Yeah. I remember having those. I two couldn't. I thought. No, yeah, I ahead. couldn't remember if it was Unlimited or this one, but thankfully it's this one. Oh, um, I don't. I think the Justice Lords show up in Unlimited as well. Um, they do. Yeah. But I remember. I mean. I remember loving the Justice Lords so much because their costumes were so they're damn. So good. They look so cool. They are. Um, it's almost like, yeah, you guys, you guys are assholes, but you look really cool, so I want you to win. Yeah. <laughs> a little forgiving. You're allowed to do what you want because that costume's real slick. <laughs> yeah. And I, they yeah, were I, so popular that they were canonized into the mainstream comics. So officially, they're Earth Fifty, the Justice Lords. Wow, I did not oh, know okay. that. Yeah, no, I didn't know that either. I always just assumed they were a play on Ultraman and everything because they don't really, they don't, they never do Ultraman and um, that entire anti Justice League that I can't remember the name of right now. Uh, oh, yeah, the crime, the crime syndicate. Crime well, syndicate. they actually they do have the uh, Crisis on Two Earths movie, which has a lot of weird statements that it's canon to the DCAU, despite the fact that Hal Jordan's the Green Lantern and the, yeah. there's a bunch of different like problems and i guess plot holes almost if, if that were canon they they have a few of those movies like a lot of the movies just supposedly um well at least before justice league war a lot of the movies are supposedly within the same universe but like you said they don't really super fit kind of like the dragon ball movies don't fit in with the show but supposedly some yeah. of them are canon um it's kind of the same thing here um which is cool because i like to see the movies um but it, it's kind of annoying when they don't fit in i think I think in Justice League Unlimited, we see either, and it's never made clear which one it is, it's either Hal Jordan or Kyle Rayner. I believe we see Hal, yeah. We, we see Hal, and I think they mention Kyle. Um, mm. I think I remember John mentioning something about Kyle, uh, but I don't think he ever appears properly. He may have a speaking role. I'm not entirely sure, though. Well, at this, at this point in time in the comics, it would make sense to not use Hal Jordan because I, I don't think he was a Green Lantern when this series no. was coming out. Like He, he was, was not. He was not even a Green Lantern by the time I think Justice League Unlimited properly aired. I think Rebirth was 2006. I might be wrong. Maybe 2004. But for the original Justice League run, he was definitely still the Spectre. And uh, at the time, the only two Green Lanterns were Kyle Rayner and John Stewart because Kyle Rayner gave him a ring. Right. And so, and I think it's Kyle Rayner because I remember the suit looking in justice league unlimited because you just see him on a quick video call with john um i remember the suit looking more like his ion suit um which would have been around the same time that he was ion um just kind of missing the lack of guy gardner hmm. <laughs> yeah he doesn't get a lot of play in live action uh besides like or not live action he doesn't get a lot of play in animation uh besides like the brave and the bold series i was gonna say batman brave and the bold He's kind of a character that's hard to do without giving him the ability to say fuck. Yeah, <laughs> and without him being written to be just blatantly dickish. Let's just say Guy's problematic across the board, but we love him because he's a badass. Oh, yeah, he's, he's so good. <laughs> he's funny. Um, so, yeah, I guess now we can dive into recommendations. Um, I feel like I recommended Invincible last week, so I don't want to do that again, so... Give me a minute, and we'll start with Michael. You always got a head full of uh, comic books <laughs> that you could uh, constantly recommend. Uh, do you want it to, like topical or just in general? I'd say just in general. Um, 
said at the top, we talk about all things nerd, so hmm. I don't want to isolate it to just these because I don't want to recommend the 1977 run of the Justice League of America to anybody. No, no absolutely not. <laughs> the, I think for what I was going to say for the Manhunters was the Red Lantern stuff. So Rise of the Red Lanterns, the new 52 Red Lantern series, it goes into the slaughter of Sector 666. And that's probably like the most prominent thing the Manhunters have done. Uh, but apart from that, just in general, uh, I mean, yesterday was kind of just reading through like Superman, Man of Tomorrow, the digital only, which is really good. No, that's that's fantastic. And also that movie, like I can't wait to get to the movies because I loved the Man of Tomorrow movie. Oh, <laughs> not just for Darren Chris. <laughs> oh, and I guess like an offhanded recommendation, like I'm sorry if I steal this from you, Sammy, but um the entire war of light and that's a big recommendation because that's hundreds of issues yeah of of this event like it's probably one of the largest like issue wise events that dc has ever done um yes there's just numerous titles and spinoffs and like it's kind of an undertaking to actually read the entirety of war of light i remember um my dad had all the books and they were all just thick um mm-hmm for the war of light series but i since we just did dc recommendations i kind of want to go with a marvel one um i'm sure everyone but me has read this at this point but if you haven't read the immortal hulk yet i'm finally getting around to it and that is just a beautiful comic especially if you're um into psychology as like a fan of psychology or at, at all interest in psychology that is probably one of the better comics you could ever read um mm. in that oh, yeah. realm the body horror in that comic is just is so completely good. unmatched, probably. I mean, like, recently at least. Yeah. But for yeah, my no. recommendation, I'm going to do one that's a little bit more recent. Uh, Speeds knows a lot of, will know a lot about this. I mean, probably, he's probably read it more than I have, but Snyder's recent uh, Justice League run. And the reason oh, I yeah. wanted to recommend that was uh, just, it's, it's focused on Jon Stewart as a character. And uh, that mm. was probably one of the things that I liked most about that run. And I, yeah. I I would really recommend it for that just alone, let alone all the other mm-hmm. amazing things that happen. It's so good. It's so good. Well, all right. I think that pretty much polishes off this episode of the podcast. Um, I think we're still figuring out what the next episode's going to be, but we'll be back at the, the same time next week. And make sure to go follow us on all our platforms. Um, we should be, be able to find us at Big Battle Boys everywhere. Right, Sammy? Yeah, should be at Big Battle Boys Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, where we will post. We usually post daily. Uh, you can do mm-hmm. a lot of interaction on TikTok with us, and just come uh, into our Discord as well. Yeah, Sammy's Fantastic. our de facto leader, so he's better at all that information than we are. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely follow us on everything. Make sure to keep up with the podcast. Um, if you're more interested in the battle stuff, Instagram is probably the place for you. If you're just a fan, TikTok is definitely for you. Um, if you want to keep up with all our news and everything, go ahead and hit up the Twitter or just go and follow us all to show us some support. That'd be great. We appreciate it. Yeah, and definitely mm-hmm. check out our YouTube as well. Uh, at Battle Boys, we'll be popping off with a lot of different lists, ranking videos, and later on a lot of video essays on your favorite comic book characters. So definitely look out for that. And thanks for having me on the pod, guys. Thanks uh, for being here. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime. Oh, can be hard-pressed to find a better uh, guest host for the next oh, episode, yeah. but... But all right, everyone, we'll catch you next week at the same time. Um, 
to go ahead and tune in then. We'll see y'all later. Mm -hmm. See you guys. See ya.